0: You're listening to World Building for Masochists.
1: And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves.
2: Because you can't get in trouble with history if you can't dig it up. Hi,
3: I'm Sarah Muller. I'm Cass Morris.
1: I'm Marshall Ryan Moresca.
3: I'm Rowena Miller. And this is episode 85, Falling in Love Again with World Building. to our fantastic guest star, Sarah Muller. Thank you for being here with us today. And we are excited to talk about getting back in the groove of world building, falling back in love with world building when you are a world builder who has fallen out of the fold, perhaps. Um, Before we dive in, did we have any announcements, anything important that people need to know?
1: Okay, when this airs, we'll have been to Worldcon, we'll have or have not won the Hugo. And so...
3: <laughs> yes, we, we currently have... So
1: you listeners know, haven't, know things that we don't. Yes. <laughs> this is Schrodinger's episode, yes. essentially, of, of we may or may not be Hugo winners by the time you're listening <laughs> to this. In which case, there there's the non-zero chance, if we were, that there's somebody who is listening to us for the first time because of that and listening to this episode. And I think we should just apologize ahead of time. <laughs> Probably. But I think that's it. I mean... Do we, do we have any other announcements? Anything coming up? I have I have a book in November. Cass, you're going to have a book come out well, sometime in the near future. D-
0: Marshall, don't <laughs> put me on the spot like that. It does not have a pub date yet. Okay. It will have a pub date if I hit the marker I need to by the end of September. Okay. And then, so when this episode airs, I will be a couple weeks away from maybe announcing a pub date. <laughs> if I've gotten to where I think I need to get, which I think I will, but... Um, I believe in you, Cass. I have faith in you. (laughs) Not yet. This is what happens when I tell Marshall that I need someone to help me be accountable, is he does things like try to trick me into announcing (laughs) an update before I'm ready to, apparently.
1: I I find that public announcements of deadlines work wonders for just tightening the mind's focus into having to get things done. But other people work differently. We call that (laughs)
2: panic in the old country. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a very effective tool. (laughs) Can't lie.
3: Well, Sarah, we are very excited to have you with us today. Would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your work and what you do?
2: Uh, I'm Sarah Muller. I'm a science fiction and fantasy writer in the Pacific Northwest. I tend to write things that have some basis in history and strange worlds that I spin off of that. My uh, debut novel is out from Tor. It came out in March. It's called The Bone Orchard. It is a gothic murder mystery about a woman who has been uh, enslaved and is tasked by the emperor who enslaved her with solving his murder. And if she can do that, she will have her freedom. Uh, as a small wrinkle to this she has some dissociated identities that she has grown other bodies for and they all have opinions about (laughs) what she should and shouldn't be doing about this whole situation so the question is does she go with her own past or does she actually do the job she's been assigned does she get revenge or does she stabilize this country that is her oppressor.
3: I I love that they're opinionated extra personalities along for the ride because we've all felt that way from time to time, I think. <laughs> that there's there's extra extra opinions inserting themselves into what we want to do. And I love that you brought that to a book.
2: I think that if you ask any writer for an opinion, you'll get at least three opinions out of one writer. <laughs> if you get yes. twelve writers, it's exponentially worse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is why you should never seek too many beta readers for for your work. <laughs> this is
2: a fair comment. Everybody's going to have an opinion.
1: Because at some point you just get all the opinions and then you have too many opinions and can't actually do anything with it.
2: You them. can't please everybody, it oh. turns out.
3: So before we dive into our topic, I am curious, um in The Bone Orchard, what is a piece of the world building that you were just particularly tickled with
2: I was particularly tickled with the idea that nobody is entirely good and nobody is entirely bad so even though a country may do something that is deeply deeply horrible they may be doing it for the best reason um and I didn't want anybody to be entirely good or entirely bad and um I think I struck that balance. There's a few characters, to be fair, who are either entirely good or entirely bad, <laughs> but the rest of the cast falls somewhere in the middle of that scale, as most humans, because we're fallible, do. Humans tend to tend to do that. Ethical murkiness
3: is like our—it's not a country—it's not a t- comfortable t- place to live, <laughs> but we seem to
2: camp out here real often. It so. is—it is rather a stock in trade, as they say. Yes.
1: So. Here here is my question for you, Sarah, because we we came up with this topic because we all met you at ArmadilloCon just a few weeks ago, and you came to see our live recording of, of our of the podcast, and then you tweeted that you had been come jaded with world building and then seeing us renewed your love for world building. So my first question is, how did you become jaded? With, the, with world building.
2: Honestly it's been a rough several years for everybody <laughs> there is that. and yeah. either you either you Boy are howdy. emotionally diving into your world building or you are just emotionally like tapped out and I'm done and you don't have anything kind of left in the well. So it was really interesting because I was struggling in fact with some world building when I came to see you all and you talked about maps and astronomy and also I will never ever ever go into uh, orbital geometries thanks not going to be my (laughs) strong suit however I did the way you talked about it reminded me forcibly of all the things I had forgotten that I did truly love about world building about tinkering with the past and figuring out all the horrible minutiae, possibly, of how a world functions. My, my specialties in um, college and post-college were anthropology and history and English, so that kind of adds up to world-building, no matter how you slice it, um, I suppose. Yeah, it's a real good it's, intersection, it's yeah. It's pretty, pretty solid. And my specialty in anthropology was always archaeology, because I loved digging into the past, literally, and the, the mystery of it all. Like, what's there? How did these people live? What did they do? And And you all talking about your worlds and building them in a way that was so concrete, in a way that was, here's things that I specifically do. It just sort of reminded me of all the things I really love about building worlds, be they for, you know, whatever reason, for a book, for a short story, for a role-playing game, whatever it is, that the world in which your characters live is drastically important because they are necessarily a product of that world.
3: I love like all the ways that this is a tangent, but I'm going to go there anyway. All the ways that um, archaeology and world building like kind of mirror one another that, you know, you dig up some object, and it's just an object. It's just a little thing, but it tells you so much about the people who used it, about, you know, what it was made of, where it came from. Is it, you know, part of the local trade? Is it coming from further away? And it's like this, this one little thing can tell you so much. And I feel like there's a lot of that in world building, too, that one little detail can touch so many parts of your world. And that's I hadn't thought about turning a world that you're building into an archaeology dig, but it kind of is in a way.
2: It kind of is. There was an archaeology dig that actually I was on where we found a series of sort of bone, little bone plates. They were about the size of a silver dollar at their longest axis. And at the top, they all had a little hole. And people were like, is this jewelry? Is this a coin? What is this? It was about a colonial era dig, but it was in Virginia. So... We know that there had been people there for a very long time, and just because it shows up in a colonial dig doesn't mean some colonial farmer didn't pick it up and just put it in his pocket when he was plowing. And nobody could figure out what it was. And as a moment of, gee, I finally had the right answer for once, I said, it's a diz. And they're like, what? It's the thing you draw wool through to make sure that you have the exact number of fibers to spin a thread at a certain size and it was as soon as I looked at it I knew exactly what it was but the only reason was because I had this rather esoteric craft specialty that was an old skill which is where experimental archaeology which you know you go and you wear the clothes and you try to light the fires and you do all the things is very much like world building because you have all these tools and you don't know what they do when you're trying to figure it out. <laughs> does, does
3: this actually work? Like, I think I know how this works. Yeah. Does this work? Let me try it. Well, oh, and, we're missing something. <laughs> and that's the answer a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think that speaks to another similarity with world building is that, you know, in archaeology, you're essentially trying to tell the story of a people. You're creating a narrative of some kind. But I'd imagine it's a field where you often have to check your presumptions at the door. Be like, just because it's a small round object doesn't mean coin, even if that's the first thing you know that I think looking at it. It might mean something completely different to these people. And it's what we're always talking about, choose, don't presume. You can't presume that this people looked at objects the same and, way that you and do.
2: To be fair, in archaeology, if if you don't know what something is, they will always say it's probably ritual. Those are words you should listen for <laughs> if you're ever watching. I've seen that in books. Yes.
1: That's the intellectual way of saying, I have no idea, but it's something. No idea. No fucking it's clue. clearly yeah. something.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was seems to have been
1: important. <laughs> well, Maybe? Also, this room was a ritual yeah, space.
3: Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, anything can be a ritual, yeah. right? We discovered that it's actually for making oatmeal. Well, it's for the ritual of breakfast. Which is These fair. people fair. had a ritual In which they arose in the morning Made food And consumed it
2: And, and be, it does <laughs> It sounds really cool <laughs> And to be fair, at Christmas How many people's parents Or you yourselves Have a ritual Where your Christmas morning Goes the same way Every year And it's delightful Because the smell when you wake up is the fact that your mother made sticky buns. That one's, you know, just as an example, but, or you wake up as a kid and your stocking that is stuffed full of incredible tchotchke junk that you're gonna love to pieces is on the end of your bed and it's magic. It's magic because you don't know how it got there except that Santa Claus came. And at the same time that, you know, we can blow all that off, there's no reason to assume that other people don't have those same kinds of depths of lives and how they go through their year and how they have memory is all the same. People in the past aren't stupid. They just have less tech. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, okay. One of the things that changed the advent of cooking a lot was the frying pan, because frying pans are how we all make breakfast now. But at one point, frying pans were new and very exciting. And now it's the sous vide and people who are not perhaps, you know, don't want to screw with their food too much have a sous vide.
1: I, I have to ask, what, when was the frying pan the
2: new so thing? So frying pans came from Europe to <laughs> England um, at sort of the beginning of the Middle Ages. The idea that you could cast metal to that shape. So it has to <gasps> do with advance in smelting technology. It's, <laughs> it's a whole thing. But if you get to the new world in the upper peninsula of Michigan, where there was free copper that you could hit, literally hammer into a shape, they had a thing that was like a frying pan long before Europe did. Because they had... That's so cool. They had a mineral that would do the thing.
1: I, I would have thought frying pans would have been around for, like... I would have thought, like, f- fourth millennium You'd BC. you think really early, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah.
0: You would have thought, like fire I'm gonna put something but on top mostly, of it so food mostly not people use
2: ceramics or earthenware of some kind and so while you can fry something over a fire mm-hmm. in in ceramic obviously because people still do that it's much easier to do that in a metal pan because the pan doesn't break at a high temperature it doesn't you don't drop it and it shatters It's just one of those things that it depends who had it. The Romans had underfloor heating in Great Britain, and somehow they thought, we don't need that. I'm sorry if I lived in Great Britain. Of all the things the Romans brought, I'd have kept under yeah. floor <laughs> heat. But yeah. you know, I would have yeah, kept, kept the, the heat. Keep the cost. Hype a cost, but you do you, boo. Apparently, they decided yeah. that freezing yeah, in stone like, was the better idea,
0: or or just having a fire unventilated inside a house with no chimneys yet, because they hadn't invented chimneys yet. It's like ah, uh, sure, you just want to live in the smoke. All right. I mean, to I, be fair, right.
2: a, a fire in the middle of a room is much more efficient. But the smoke is in fact a thing and yeah, it yep. it it's just what the people found to be advantageous at the moment. Some of my favorite
0: scenes in, in, in Sandman, um, both in the comics and in the, the show that's just released, Hob Gadlin, who is a man who is granted immortality and is asked, you know. What's what's great about being around for so long and seeing things change. And like in the fifteenth century, chimneys. he's like chimneys. <laughs> he's like, That's the best thing that's happened in the last hundred years. They're great. They're amazing. And it's like what a wonderful ground eye level of like if you were just a normal person living your life who happened to be immortal. We never see vampires get excited about things like that. But this guy is just a regular yeoman Englishman. Chimneys and he's are like, cool. Chimneys are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea these these kids
2: today don't appreciate the uh, running water. I mean running water that goes any distance at all like if you live in Segovia, Spain, there's a big old Roman aqueduct, and it was bringing water into Segovia long after the Romans had packed up and left. But man, running water is cool I mean, I mean especially
3: especially when it starts coming it into your house. You don't realize how much work you would spend getting water and shopping firewood or otherwise gathering fuel until you work like in a kitchen where you have to do those things. And suddenly half of your day is keeping the darn fire up
2: and going to get water like it's just and water's heavy and animals drink a lot of it. So if you have oxen, if you have working animals that you're not just turning out in a pasture that are drinking from a stream or a pond that you have to haul water for, that's a lot of work. And you wonder why the full-body bathtub was not a thing unless you were a king? No, it's because it's just too much work. You can bucket bathe a lot simpler than that. And
0: people do. Well, gosh, and like if... In modern life, water is a thing that, like, if you lose access to it, you know, the water main on your street breaks or something, and you don't have it for, like, 12 hours, all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> I had no idea how reliant I was upon this this public resource that I take for granted 20 my times a day. My son
2: was in the Peace Corps, and at one point he texted me and said, Mom, you'll never believe it. There's this thing, and you get under it and you turn a knob and hot water falls on you and you don't have to do anything. 20th century guy, he grew up in my house with showers every day, but guess what? There's places in Namibia that don't have that. And he'd been bathing out of a pail with a rag for six months and then he went to see a friend in a city where there was a shower and it was the most like the most <laughs> it, was a, it was a religious oh. experience for this poor guy who's just like wow hot running water is amazing and what's weird is loads of medieval cities actually have running water. Public fountains were a huge deal and you wanted to live close to one. That was your goal. How close can you get to the running water?
3: One of my favorite things from being in Germany is they still have all of these fountains in many places in Germany and, and Italy and France. And people still use them. You just if you need to refill your water bottle, you just go up and refill your water bottle. It's just it's a thing. And it's and it was really funny water. because we kind of like in it'll be labeled if it's not and especially in Germany they're very anal kind drink don't you know not drink not drinking water but it was really funny because we got used to doing this and then people would be like watching us like is that you can't really do that right like is that safe and it's like yes it's been safe for centuries at this point we'd know if it wasn't the ones in Rome have like
0: Lines Uh, like there's some like the really pretty ones, like you have to wait like 15 (laughs) minutes because all the tourists just want to stand in line. And last time I was there, I remember realizing like I had just passed another fountain, like right around the corner. (laughs) And so, like, I came around the corner, there's always people waiting in line. I'm like, do y'all realize that there's these things are everywhere? There's like 3,000 of them. There's like a map of the ones in Paris, it's (laughs) great. There (laughs) might be a little lead in the pipes, but and
2: of course, if you are particularly devout in Rome or in Spain or in France, there are holy springs and they are still holy. And you go to the church and there's this thing and there's a line that's four blocks long that you can line up and get your water bottle filled with holy water. And it's it's still the same. It's just okay. It's largely labeled not drinking water, particularly in Germany. However, (laughs) they're slightly better about it, to be fair, than France and Spain. Do not drink holy water. Only. What's my favorite sign I ever saw in Spain? Do not drink holy water. Do not only. drink
3: holy water. Speaking of water and wells and creative wells, well, I, well, nice segue, yeah. um, <laughs> Smooth. Smooth. I mean, we, we've acknowledged that world building is a creative process, and like any other creative process, it is subject to. How we're feeling about being creative, like I mean how do you how do you guys deal with that as you know when you have to when world building is no longer a joy because you feel creatively flat
1: for me, one of the big things is when when I feel like the well is is getting dry is to pivot to some other activity that is still creative, but in a different way, so that that can be, like, like the way that the tank is refilled. I will just keep on making new world maps for different, for, for a new thing. Just to be like, what's this gonna be for? I don't know, but I'm gonna, I'm, this process of, like, just creating a new map and fiddling with it on, you know, um like, just the art level of that, then... Oh like gets those juices flowing again just because it's a something new and shiny so therefore that's always good and but it's also it's not at least at the beginning part there's nothing specific about like writing or words or or you don't have to be creative in that same sort of way of like figuring out what's what and what part of the world you just you're just making a map and then you start to be like well that archipelago is pretty cool What what what's going on there and so, and so, just by doing that, then that sort of gets the gets the juices flowing again. At least for me, I
2: I will say that part of what I heard you all say when I was in Austin was talking about map making and making maps, and I got to thinking about this magic system that I was working with and what magical disasters might do to a landscape, and then I was off. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes it just takes that little push, and and. You know creativity is a, is an emotional thing and sometimes you're just tapped out you can't be excited you can't even be sad you're just done and and that's a t- kind of a horrible place to live but you know it happens and i think it's important to know also that you know people can take a deep breath and step back a little and come around at a different angle and draw a cool map or think about how this color of dye might distribute through a world, or what are the food traditions that people have, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, this isn't writing, this is just fun. And off you go, you know.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, because like I feel like like that like the the, the nitty gritty writing part of it is very different from just that like. I mean, it's almost like being a kid again and kind of daydreaming and creating worlds for yourself. You know that. There's an element of play, I think, when you're just kind of taking the, the the early seeds and letting them germinate or saying, "Okay, what what's what's the story on this part of the world?" It's, you know, if if you played with with action figures or dolls as a kid and kind of set them up and let them on an adventure, like there's there's a, an element of that kind of play, I think that you can kind of let your brain go free with in the in that kind of world building. Uh
0: the great barbie dinosaur war of
2: 1992 <laughs> yes yeah
0: no but i think i think what you said was really important too being like recognizing that that's a thing that happens and forgiving yourself for that like allowing yourself to have fallow periods soil needs to lie fallow in order to be replenished the well, if it runs dry, it's not going to fill itself back up if you're scraping desperately trying to get every last little molecule of water out of it. Sometimes just sort of stepping back. And for me, that's often immersing myself in in some other story. Like, I'm going to binge the entire Borges in two days. I'm going to listen to eight audiobooks in a row while embroidering and just sort of let my mind be free. And that, to me, refills the tank. That helps me sort of just enjoy a story without worrying too much about it without analyzing it usually i'd pick something familiar to me like that i know already so i'm not anxious about where it's going i'm just like i'm just letting this story happen to me and by the time it's over maybe i'll have some energy again
1: and sometimes it is that i'm just gonna buy all the vegetables and then make all the soups and then freeze the
0: <laughs> <night> and, <laughs> and that works you just stress baking i do stress oh, yeah. baking sometimes you
1: yeah do all the you know do something that is just completely not be sitting down at the computer. The
2: look on my, my neighbor's kids' faces when I showed up with a bunch of violently purple crinkle cookies that had been rolled in glitter sugar, so they were sparkly and purple, was in fact kind of excellent. That sounds excellent. I, I would have an amazing <laughs> face too. They were ube too. crinkle Gosh. cookies. There's recipes. You can look them up. Um... <laughs> I, I will be. <laughs> <laughs> They're fabulous, actually. They are weirdly vanilla tasting because it turns out this particular purple yam tastes kind of vanilla. And then you put more vanilla in it and that just helps. <laughs> that is awesome.
1: And see, that's that's another, like, you can do, like, a world-building adjacent thing of, like, okay, if the people in this, you know, in this part of the world have, like, these food staples, what interesting things can I make (laughs) that would be their delicacy? And then you get to eat it.
2: There's a line from an early Star Trek from the first series where I think Sarek is talking to another ambassador on board the Enterprise and he's holding up a glass and of course it's in black and white. And he says, if you can get past the color, it's really quite good. They call it orange juice which always strikes me because it's that thing of, you know, to, to, to them, this isn't an everyday staple. It's not what you do. You know, maybe you use mealworms as flour. Lots of the world does, but we don't generally, but it's high protein. It's got roughage. It's great stuff. So, you know, what is common to us is really exotic to somebody else. And I don't like the word exotic, but that's the best one I've got in English right now. No, I think that it's, you kind of hit on another, I
3: think, way that I sometimes refill my tank is just like, I'm a dork, but learning new stuff just jazzes me up. Like, I, I, if, you know, I can sit down and watch a documentary or, you know, decide that there's some topic that I don't know enough about and get a book on it. And then all of a sudden you're reading it and you're like, ah, wouldn't it be cool if this was central to like a culture and this was how they built it? How would people deal with this particular environment? You know, if, if we had this particular animal combined with this particular religious significance, what would that, and just kind of like, you know, go nuts with that. So I think sometimes just taking in and drinking in how big and bizarre and varied and cool like our own world is can spawn excitement about building a different world
1: oh yeah and especially reading anything that's like kind of a sciencey text or a sciencey text made for made for a layman then it's it can be a delightful thing of just exploding your brain of like oh that would be cool uh, one of my favorite books, as far as how it had that effect on my brain, was one called The Disappearing Spoon, which is a history of the periodic table of the elements. And both in terms of, like, how, like, just the idea of the periodic table of elements came about, and then being like, how would that have worked within within my world? And then, but also, like, all the different things of, like, when they discovered Galenium, like, this is the thing that they, I mean, that's where... I think it's galenium, but that's where the title even comes from, is galenium has a melting temperature of, like, 105 degrees or something like that. So, as a prank, they would make spoons out of it. You can't give them stir to people, your and then like,
2: coffee. And you stir your
1: tea, and then...
2: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's
1: hilarious metal poisoning.
2: <laughs> <It's> still,
1: <laughs> but that, like... And that also shows you, like, the things that they do as pranks. Yeah. And... and Which are, you know, deadly and horrible. But it was was a great...
3: We lose five... I mean, would you really drink something? We lose
1: five people a week doing
3: this, but it's funny.
1: (laughs) It's funny. Uh, One of my other favorite bits from that is, you know, also, like, the guy who discovered X-rays. Like, just some moron messing around in, like, his stable behind the house with radioactive material. As you do, because... Because that's what people did at the turn of the century, because you had radioactive material for some reason and nothing better to do with your time. And and didn't and really know literally that, literally that it
3: was, thought, like, deadly yet. Like, oops. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, like, messing around with it and did this thing. was like, I'm seeing my bones. Presumed he was going crazy because...
2: <laughs> I mean, valid. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Valid. Yeah.
1: And then, like dragged his wife out to the stable and did it to her and like then she screams and but then he's like oh wait in this hey she's seeing it too so it's not just me going crazy you know, but also oh wow i can see i can see her ring on her hand now so i also know this is a real thing and then and then voila! but like still there, there might some, be applications also, for
3: this or it's there just might be cool applications for or this.
1: it's just cool <laughs> that sort of thing just will get my mind going crazy of like what happens when people are just you know what is science in in my world and who's who are the people doing it and is there anything resembling rigor or is it just morons with too much money and time in their in the stable behind the house and
2: yes <laughs> i think you
0: should yeah. always have both really yeah
1: and then boom have you have story potential out of that <laughs>
0: And It's like I, another thing I love to do to get ideas is going to museums and just like wandering around and being like, "Show me something interesting, exhibit," and I'll start making up you know stories in my head about the objects and the dinosaurs. Let's be real, dinosaurs are mostly what I'm looking for in a museum, but um, history too. And that's why most of them like my podcasts I listen to besides us are history podcasts because it'll be like, "All right, I I'm don't know what to do with myself today. I'm gonna learn something about." Etruscans, Sure, that sounds great. Let's well, and that
2: even though we don't, you know, largely believe in demons as a literal fact anymore, there's a ring at the Vatican that theoretically has a demon in it. So what if that was real? What if that was true? What if it's true? What if...
1: I'm not open to find when out. Was the when last was
0: the time last time anyone checked? checked?
3: Yeah, like when was the last time someone <laughs> checked? Has, uh,
2: <laughs> Because this might, this might explain yeah, a lot I was about gonna the last say. years. I'm just saying there's, still there? there's quite a few of these around. Um, Lorenzo de' Medici had one. There's a couple of more. They're mostly in Italy, to be fair. They mostly seem to be an Italian thing. But uh, yeah, demon rings are a real thing. Or any of the beliefs. Like, what if the humors were actually... How medicine worked. What if that was correct? I mean, sometimes one wonders.
3: <laughs> Fair. <laughs> well,
0: and, the, and and like you said, people in the past weren't dumb. Like, the theory of the humors came from observation. It came from sometimes you swell up when you're sick and, and there's too much fluid in you. And they drew correlations from there. They weren't working with our modern
3: tools or scientific method, but they weren't stupid. Yeah. Or like bleeding people. Like, you know, we think that's so dumb, but you know what? You take a little bit of someone's blood and because of the brain chemistry associated with like losing blood, you feel better. You like loosed some chemicals up there <laughs> and you're like, Oh hey, I feel I feel kinda kinda okay. Like a lot a lot of people report after giving blood, like, I feel really good about myself. No, those are brain chemicals. But I'm glad that you feel good about yourself. <laughs>
2: Or when you have a fever and you are flushed looking and you have the sort of very red face because you're running a high fever. Well, that's clearly too much blood because it's all like swollen up against your skin. So clearly we need to get rid of some of that. It's not It's not based on nothing. It's just based on a wrong assumption. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's still like based on observation. And we know that a lot of the plant compounds that were used some of them entirely bogus do not use them for real
0: (laughs) many will just straight up poison you
2: straight up poisoning (laughs) but some of them actually work which is always kind of fascinating well and there's a bunch too that's like there's a real
0: thin line in the dosage between this will poison you exactly enough because sometimes your body needs a purgative or something like that this Um, will poison you too much this will poison you dead (laughs) exactly this many grains fine more or less yes I was just thinking of foxglove everything in the nightshade family basically yeah
2: Yeah. foxgloves like literally a heart medicine is made out of foxgloves but it will straight up kill you dead like let's (laughs) not get this wrong don't make it into tea (laughs) leave it to professionals
3: Well, and like, Um. and it's fun too, because so many things like we've just been talking about, it's like, so, but what if magic, you know, what if, what if the world, but magic, and I feel like that's where you can trip your world building into overdrive sometimes, like, okay, so let's, let's really, let's really push this, like, like, what, what thing do I want to introduce that's going to be that I don't get to have even... No matter where I go in the world, I don't get to have that thing that my, my documentaries and my books can't tell me about. What can I inject and make up?
1: I mean, just right there, that, like, what if bored rich guys fucking around in this table add magic? <laughs> <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> I think that's how we got Frankenstein, to be fair. I mean, pretty
1: much. I mean, that is... I mean, that is basically what that story is, is the guy's... A guy just walking around in in his back room, and, oops, magic. Oops, made a guy. Whoops, sorry.
2: <laughs> Deeply whoops.
1: <laughs> One of the things I love about that book is how it's like he is just totally gung ho, like gonna do this, gonna do this, gonna do this. And the second he does it, he's like, I have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> there's there's like not even like there's not even like a hint of like this is why I think it's just oh now that I did it I've made a terrible mistake and I mean that's you can do so much with just that <laughs> basic premise. So. I,
3: I enjoy how the, the movies it's it's more like you just keeps digging in deeper like it just yeah. it's like mm, <laughs> this isn't working so great maybe if I make another one and they can the get married that'll fix it
1: <laughs> surely that will fix it <laughs> But I love it. I love how it's just like on a dime of just like, oh, no. This I did something terrible. I'm just going to throw it in the alley and hope and hope, hope it doesn't come attention. back to haunt me. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think it's 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 like one of the original stories that features just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's it really is. It's Which a, is one of the a,
1: which is one of the great plots, right? It now. is.
2: <laughs> It's a classic it's, it's a warning tale of, of you know be careful what you do be careful what you wish for
0: <laughs> I mean that goes that, that has ancient roots right that goes back to hubris
2: that goes back to you know don't overestimate your own talents and well and that's Frankenstein's abiding sin right it's a gothic novel it deals with the idea of abiding sin and his abiding sin is hubris He wants to make some alive man to prove that God is not supreme, which in the scheme of the Gothic novel is the worst sin perhaps ever. And he's not the only one who suffers for it. Everybody around suffers for it. The creature Adam suffers for it. Everybody suffers for it because he reached past a boundary that was held as sacred and I'm sorry to use that word but it's like that's the sin right sin implies that there is something that you should not do because it's just (laughs) wrong (laughs) and the gothic novel deals with the things that are just wrong coming back to bite you in the ass (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> am i allowed to use that word yes you can curse as much as you like yes you, you okay. can say whatever absolutely. you
1: fucking yes. want
2: <laughs> okay good i just was like okay slowing down here because here feel, is where the like principal will be talking to me in the morning
0: <laughs> <laughs> no i feel like we need to put that in the document all when we when we say, bring say on. Like, yes
2: you yes you can say grown-up words, words are are perfectly fucking fine yes absolutely welcome <laughs> and encouraged but yes, Frankenstein's that's his deal, right? He commits one of these sins that doesn't just punish him, it punishes everyone. And
3: I feel like that's like a fun play to do like with world building. Like what what is that sin for your world? What would what would Frankenstein be in your world? What would that look like and kind of playing with what are what are the untouchable things the sacred things and how do we tell stories about them because we all do that right i mean we all tell stories about what the sacred things are whatever they happen to be for our time and place
0: or can you create a world where you take something that that is presumed to be that line a a common trope like that and then flip it around can you create a world where procreation is normally done that way by assembling somebody it, it's not done the way we know it it's like yeah but everybody, everybody just waits for a good thunderstorm to uh ignite their kid and that's 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 how our species keeps going
2: that's such a cool idea
1: <laughs> i was also thinking in uh in Stephen bruce's books where resurrection magic is so commonplace so therefore the like you know you know bring back the dead is no longer this line of like you know this was this is only you know god's purview and no one else can can create life and it's like yeah we, we we bring back the dead every you know 20 times a day you know for for the right price then where is the line and so it uh like the first book that he wrote with that like kind of explores like okay if that's not the line what is what's the, line? the
2: line yeah where is it <laughs> what's what's truly so horrible that it shouldn't be allowed ever yeah. what what was, makes oh. us leave you dead <laughs> like, if you were oh gosh, such was... a just a biting jerk that nope we are not bringing you back And what that's... if your society had to vote on whether
0: or not you get brought back
2: ooh, ooh
0: good oh, one that's dark I'm not that's sure I want to roll those dice yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> well I mean but that that has interesting implications in the popularity contest of social media,
3: right?
2: Mm-hmm. That oh would God. be very, very interesting. <gasps> Sorry. Oh, terrifying. Yeah, oh, no. no, I love it. Hi, oh, that's, I'm that's a fan a of the gothic premise. novel and the horribleness yeah. that people do to each other. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: <laughs> I was also thinking, of, I can't remember the name. It was some science fiction series fairly recently. It was based on a book and then some streaming service did it. Where the name is absolutely failing me, I think it started with an A. The um, altered carbon. Yes, that's it. Altered um, carbon. Bodies, the like many flaws in at least the TV series. I haven't read the book, but the the show had um, there were good things and there were not great things. But the premise was basically that like your bodies are disposable because you download your mind and your essence. And so the real sin there is killing the essence. Like if you kill it before it can download, that's beyond the pale. If you kill the body, it's like, ah, that might be reversed. We can get you a new body. It's fine.
2: <laughs> uh, Meg- I was a bit irked. I'm sorry I shot you at dinner. That yes. was rude.
3: <laughs> um, I can say I read an arc of this one. Megan O'Keefe has a new one coming out that has that as one of the premises. And and mm. it's, it is. It's it's interesting because then it also, that that download does degrade over time. So, how many times you can do that kind of like, and how how violent or traumatic the death was also affects that. So, like carrying out violence to other people does not become okay because you can download them again. It is still like like there's there's still still a consequence consequence to that. So, I thought that was a cool way of playing with it
2: storage media right so it's in a storage media so what is the media and how fragile is it and also and who has access to it and where is it stored right and is it a series of ones and zeros because then you can change it
1: Mer Lafferty's Six Wakes plays with a lot of that so well because it's set on a spaceship where they are able to make clones and so the six people who are the crew of the ship are all clones who have you know Constantly get backed up, backed up, backed up, but then they all wake up at the same time, new clones, but their memories have been, there's no memories except for right when they first started on the ship, and they all wake up to a massacre of them all dead, and then <laughs> they have to be like, with no memory of anything that happened on the ship, be like, okay, so... What happened? <laughs> Why are we all murdered? Who, it's a murder mystery of,
2: in which you get to be the victim. <laughs> oh, gosh, <laughs> which you hilarious. are the victim
1: and possibly the killer. And the detective. Right? It's a brilliant book, and but it does play with all that of, of what it means to still be you if what you are has been downloaded or copied or that copy has been messed with.
2: A Memory of Empire by Arkady Martine has Mm. some of that question also of, you know, memory is variable. We, what we think of things changes over time and how long since your last backup and now you're dead. And how does the person who inherited you deal with that when they find out a, you've been murdered and b you have had an extreme emotional moment of realizing you've been murdered. You're not just dead and passed on or just passed on, you've actively been murdered. It's a very cool book.
0: Yeah, I loved that one. It's brilliant.
1: I mean that's as you know, world builders, as you know, the god of the world you're making, you get to decide what death means in the first place. You know, if there is an afterlife and what there what the afterlife means being a ghost might or might not mean within this world what heaven or hell might or might not mean in this world and how transitory are those ideas and can can somebody be brought back Can somebody can somebody wander from one level to the other and what do, and because you get to make all the rules which is a fun thing to do
3: like even like what's what's real and what's not real like you get to you get to
2: decide that stuff it's always very cool it's also a case of kind of here's all of these questions about what is possible as well and what it costs i think in a lot of ways when you're dealing especially with a world that has magic or or impossible future tech as far as we know impossible future tech what does it cost we all have batteries in our cell phones made with rare earth minerals. Well, I hate to tell you why they're called rare earth minerals. It's cause they ain't exactly as common as iron. So that's, you know-
1: Shocker, it's right in the name.
2: Shocker, it's in the name. You'd be amazed how many people don't get that that's actually how that works. It's right on the tin. Um, it says it on the tin. There used to be a lake in Canada called Strange Lake. And as far as I know, I had last I checked, it was still not on any maps because it has rare earth minerals. There are several sites in the United States like that. I don't know what it's actually called. I just know what my dad called it because he was a geologist and he worked with some of these on and off through his career about how much of it is there. Can you get it out of the ground? If so, can you do it safely? Etc. And yeah, it's 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 that's a whole nother squirrel trail you can follow into world building, right? Is is that resources are everything for civilizations. They are everything, be it water, be it wheat, be it you know the obviously some are more necessary than others. Wheat is a lot more necessary than cochineal if you live in Europe in the Middle Ages of the Renaissance, but still, cochineal turns things red. We like that. Turns out it's really a cool color and all <laughs> the hip kids are wearing it this year. In fact, all the hip kids are wearing it for the next 50 years.
3: I have to say, when you said strange lake, my mind immediately went to those like mystery spots that are totally fake. But what if they weren't? Where the compass just spins. Yeah, or, and like, they, and they build the whole goofy things where it's like all optical illusions and whatever. But that would be kind of fun if a mystery spot was was real and actually was all goofy and weird. And...
2: They actually are a
3: hellmouth.
1: <laughs> where gravity just doesn't work here. Though you also made me think, you know, it's like it's not on any map. In terms of you, the world builder, know what everything is and where everything is, but that doesn't necessarily mean. When you're making the map, are you putting everything on the map? Whose perspective are you making the map from? What do the people in your world know, or are they making the map with keeping that secret thing off so that nobody else finds it? Are they are they hiding the hidden city, or what have you? That's that's on that's on the the lake filled with the magical elements. Yeah,
3: sometimes a really good like spark on, on world building and kind of like getting back, especially back into a world that maybe you have to do more work in, but you're feeling kind of like, "Eh," is just change their perspective. (laughs) Like, you know, yeah, you as the writer are God and know all, but what do your characters know and how do they perceive it? And that can be, I feel like that can be a good in for like developing parts of a world that maybe fell off your radar or to the bottom of the to-do list.
2: That's basically what I'm doing now. I said, oh, you know, if your empire has withdrawn and left their tech because it's not mobile and you know only part of what it does and you kind of know how to run it, but only maybe not all of it. How can you get in trouble with that? And the answer is, (laughs) oh, buckle up. (laughs) It's going to be a bumpy night. quote marlena dietrich
1: if you know okay i turn this i turn this wheel and i pull this lever and then that's where we get the stuff out that we want to get but if it breaks i don't know anything about about what how it works inside but you can you can still get it working for a while that way and then that moves from science to ritual object because exactly it it then becomes this thing of we do it this way because this is how it works why does it work that way? No one knows.
3: Because if we do not do it this way, it angers the gods. And also, yes. this is how I believe cars work. So,
0: And that's how a lot of Roman tech hung on for a while, is that it kept working until it broke and no one was alive who knew how to fix it. So then they started, you know, stripping it for its marble. That, that's how the aqueducts <laughs> eventually fall apart. It's like, oh, it no work anymore. And we've forgotten the geometry yes. behind it. So
3: perfectly good stones guess i'll use them for something else did, did you power cycle the unit turn it on turn it off again turn it on no it didn't work okay take apart the aqueduct it's not...
2: and and there's plate and the places where they're still there and they still work the fountains in the alhambra in spain still run nobody's replaced the pipes that i'm aware of they're still the same pipes they just keep quietly burbling away, because wherever the water is coming from, it's from high enough up that it powers the fountain itself, and the fountains keep running. Fountains are pretty cool. I mean, nobody has those, right?
1: And they made the pipes out of something that lasted long enough all this time that they haven't...
2: <laughs> Probably, honestly, it's just corroded a tube into the whole earth. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I mean... It was lead a lot of the
0: time.
3: <laughs> it was lead, so you know. I wouldn't drink it. You know, a trade offs. <laughs> a little bit's fine. It's just in quantity that it becomes a problem.
2: Much like cyanide. <laughs> An arsenic. Yes. A little bit. <laughs> That's
0: not a problem. But so you start playing with stuff like that and all of a sudden you've got a great plot hook. Like, you know, what is the old tech or the old magic? in your world that, that has stopped working but suddenly you've got a character who wants to figure it out and this is their goal and bam
2: you got a story right there or they desperately need it to work they need this tech they know it used to work there is a drought and this thing used to run water You, if there's enough of a drought you desperately want that water back <laughs> or You want the hospital to miraculously start healing people that are laid on the stones of the floor again. You may not know why. If you lay someone on this presumably sacred stone, if they are good people, apparently, for some reason, either that or allied with a demon, take your pick. It's, you know, whatever you need your plot to do. They Somebody heal.
1: needs to remember how to, how to lock that gate to the hell world because <laughs> nobody wrote it down.
2: <laughs> Always leave the gate in the condition in which you found it. If it was closed, close it after you. On the flip
0: side, do not write the password for opening the gate in an obvious area because if someone finds it, they're going to open that hell mouth and now you've got problems. And then it's just work, work, work. All the time. <laughs> just, gosh. <laughs> I keep rounding up these demons, stuffing them back in. Who's letting the cat
2: out? <laughs> stop letting the cat out. It ate four people today. It has six heads. Don't, stop bringing it here. Yeah, no, it's your world's past is, is is a good way to chase it back. I mean, there's a place where you do have to stop tinkering at it and write the story you're writing today. past is, why is it that way? Like, what what did people do in the past? Um, I love it. Of course, you know. Again, I wrote a gothic. It's nobody's should be shocked that I love the idea that the past is always going to be there, and it could be good. It could be bad. But if you don't respect it, it's always coming to get you, one way or another.
1: Which is also always a good theme.
2: You can't can avoid
3: what's what what has been done, for it has mm-hmm. been done, and. What is now is therefore a result of what has been done. And I think that it's also, you know, those points at which a world changes. Like, what are the axes of change for your world? Like, what are the spots that, that have, like, well, when when did the aqueduct stop working? When did the magic stone stop working? Or even more, like Minor, when when did someone first import that really cool red dye? Like, these moments that things change forever. <laughs> And you kind of like can trace those back and also think about moving forward. Okay, well, what is my world going to look like in 50 years? What am I doing right now in this imaginary place that's going to keep going theoretically unless I'm in fact destroying it? You know, where where would I want it to go?
1: Where, where do I want it to go in 50 years? And thus, what does the story need to be now to make that happen?
2: Exactly. I mean, what is it about this world that can't exist in any other world. What is its crux? Because in some ways, that's what's the thing, right? Is that whoever your character is, they have arisen out of that world very organically. They're not, unless they're an alien person who is dropped into an area that they don't understand, which is a cool way to explain it, don't get me wrong, but characters arise organically out of their circumstances so how is your character connected to that past to that background to this is this city holding a pass is it in the middle of a plane and maybe the trade route has gone away over the years but the city is still there or the town because of course it's not as big or as prosperous anymore 'Cause the wagon trains or the traders or the book fair or whatever existed there has stopped being a thing. Yeah.
1: Now now that now that people have the magical nude gate, they don't need to take the highway anymore.
2: There you go. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, just
3: remembering that the that interplay of character and world, I think if if the world-building creativity is drying up, maybe the character creativity isn't, and you can kind of let them play against each other and and remembering just how much of a character is, in fact, a product of their world, a product of where they're coming
2: from. I think it's very much like striking a spark with a flint and a steel, is that, you know, the character and the world come into conflict or come into contact, and that's where you get the spark. And suddenly... You know, there now I've got fire, now I've got an ember, and I can work with that. I can encourage it and coax it along. Um, but I think that crossover very much is is a rich place. I mean, a lot of YA novels. Um, my husband once referred to them as the bitter orphans club, because the first <laughs> thing you have to do is remove all sources of authority, um, so that young teens can go have an adventure because otherwise their parents are going to stop them from it for the sake of their own health
1: you just said it in the 70s or 80s and it's just like mom going out no one notices no No one
2: notices no i don't know they went out at breakfast with their bikes we haven't seen them since
1: (laughs) (laughs) they'll probably be back by dark
2: if they're not back by dark then we'll worry exactly
3: that was why like Stranger Things was it's like this is quite realistic yes no one knows where the kids are because they're in some you know upside down horror world but that's fine as long as they're home before the streetlights come on it's not a problem
1: or even it's like oh they're not here well they're probably at Dustin's right
2: fine. <laughs> should we call oh, no not- no because Dustin's mom works nights and we don't want to call because we'd wake her up <laughs> Stranger Things is a great example of that but there's another good place to, like, world build off of. How does this world deal with children? Do they have them? Are they just actually little adults? Are they, you know, that are downloaded into an adult body, so they're just adults from day one? But children are really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll figure out some of the darndest ways to get around rules and restrictions. And you can think all-you-want parents out there that you know what your kid is doing when they're not with you. But I have a very sad, sad story to tell you. <laughs> as one of five with a child of my own, how much you actually know about that? <laughs> not as much as you want.
1: So that would be fascinating and frustrating of a story where you have people get you know downloaded into new bodies or whatever with all their memories, but you have to you have to start again as a baby even though you have the full like you still have to be like you still have to like relearn your oh, body thanks. as a baby oh. and like
2: <laughs> <laughs> no i you still have to go through that stage at 12 where every 15 minutes you just have can't g- keep a grip on what you're doing anymore right like every fifteen minutes, you have to recapture your own attention. You're like, no, no, come back. It's No, SMAP. I feel
3: like you know, no. We you do middle school once, you do not have to do it again. <laughs> well, you don't <laughs> have to do the school nothing. part. No, because that you, age. Because you still have that age. <laughs> but but you have,
1: to, well, you have to physically still age through it. No, like, see, I'm just saying, like like the baby part where you're like, fuck, you know, I have to, I have to. Learn how to walk again. I'm working
2: on all the muscles in my entire face. And none of them are doing a thing that I think they should do.
1: Or just even the, like, ah, I was so used to, like, being able to reach the top shelf.
2: Or if you were a highly trained athlete, your brain still thinks you remember how to pirouette. But... None of your muscles remember that. I
3: mean, even if you didn't have to age through the whole process, even if you just get downloaded into a new adult body, it's like, oh, I have to learn how to use this one. It's like driving a new car, but way, way weirder.
2: I'm sorry. Where's the turn signal on this damn thing?
3: (laughs) That's the
0: windshield wipers. (laughs) This thing does not have the same turning radius that I'm used to. Oh
3: God, Brakes are... Brakes are real squishy. Real squishy on this one. I'm not stopping.
2: Loose handling here. How big a parking space do I need for this? Come on!
1: <laughs> this metaphor has gone off the rails, and my brain is going to all the wrong places.
2: <laughs> well, we My my mother-in-law literally I think had I beat this, you there. <laughs> my mother-in-law had a drum table, which is sort of a big hollow, like drum-shaped table. And all the kids took great glee in hiding in it to play hide and seek and it was a very sad day the day you discovered you no longer fit inside the draw oh. it was a tragedy could have been a sadder day <laughs> <laughs> when you started that sentence
0: my brain thought of a different ending <laughs> <laughs> it's a sad day the day we never found ricky during hide <laughs> and seek oh we never found ricky hide <laughs> and seek
2: yeah, he yeah. won he's still there
1: He's still the champion.
2: It's lovely to hang out with other writers. We're all slightly horrible people. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we're all yeah. all. It,
1: it, it is our job to make beautiful characters we love and then chase them up a tree and throw rocks at them.
2: That's true.
1: <laughs> and so we have to think sometimes in the worst possible ways. It's what we do.
2: And then people wonder why we're like, but you know what would be the worst thing of all that could happen? they're like, no, don't tell me. Don't tell me.
0: We're natural catastrophe machines, really.
1: On so many levels.
0: Well, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't talking about my personal life, Marshall.
3: (laughs) I was just thinking about all, you know, I worry about being around fine breakables, but that's just (laughs) many catastrophes.
2: Uh, sorry, I'm thinking about the dumbest thing I ever did with a horse, and yeah, there's some really dumb things you do in your life. That the good news about being downloaded into a new body is hopefully you'd keep a list of things I am not gonna do this time. Like, what are the things you don't want to do again? Also, all your characters. Dumb ways should. I die. Yeah. Dumb ways I die. Oh gosh. Not but, good that ways. That would be such a dumb good ways. list good
0: list to leave yourself like don't bother having this experience in a new body it won't be better like, well. homemade absinthe don't do it again tried don't it three it. or
2: four times
0: it's... your tongue is not that different nope. it will still taste like eating old
2: <laughs> not old things just old just
0: old <laughs> Just old.
2: and you'll be lucky cause then your brain if you make it again every time your brain just literally runs out your nose and just don't but- <laughs> stop now don't do this thing that experiment with with cleaner and bleach just don't <laughs> turns out bathroom fans are not in fact a chemical hood note to self <laughs> that is not a well ventilated enough area <laughs> what is well ventilated enough there's the next question yeah. no don't experiment it's all downhill from <laughs> don't here do it.
1: and thus we get back to the chimney.
2: See, <laughs> everything in oh, that such a, great,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> such a great invention.
2: The
3: chimney
0: is sick. Yep. <laughs> it's just. Rowena, Rowena, you've been trying to save us I, from ourselves yes. here twice
3: now. <laughs> I was just <laughs> noticing that we are coming up on our hour.
1: I think we've I think we've well gone past, past, <laughs> we are
3: past our hour. Well past and since I wanted to make sure we had enough time for Sarah to bequeath us with a bit of world building trivia that we can add to our ever growing and expanding
2: world, I thought that I would ask for that. Well, as a uh, student of archaeology, I believe I will go with the bones which do not match any known than as mystery, mystery bones. bones. Mystery how, bones. How many bones?
3: Or is this like a full skeleton? Or is this just like a, like a scattering no,
2: pieces, pieces, parts, bits? There's a famous skeleton of a unicorn in Germany, and I can't remember what city it is. Marburg? It's not. Uh, but it's a uh, got two legs and a large spine and a tail and a head with a horn. It's actually parts of a rhinoceros. It's not a unicorn. Now, how do we know that? Good question. Well, I was going to ask that.
0: Maybe, maybe our mystery bones aren't just, you know, an extinct okay. animal. Maybe they're, like, the bone material is unlike any other bone material on our there planet. And that's we how go. we know it's something really totally,
2: different. Different. totally different. Totally different. What are different creatures have different chemical makeups? Mm. Like, who's to say, right?
3: And I, I imagine the scientific community is is at odds over how to explain these these
2: bones perhaps they only occur in a single area there's or discrete mm. areas what caused these bones or are they leftovers of ancient lost civilization or i'm sorry they... i just got
0: the aliens meme in my head yeah, <laughs> <could be. laughs> the guys. eventually in our world there will be that guy doing a documentary about there will bones. be yes
2: eventually i i I know that you you all have travel by gate so i felt strongly i
3: feel like they may be related to the gate in some way
2: maybe it could be possible that if you travel by gate often enough it literally infuses your bones with some chemical that makes them change or be harder so they last bones are not actually terribly resistant to uh degradation Wait, Teeth now. Hold, Teeth hold on.
3: Last. These aren't bog bones, are they?
2: Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. If it was a bog, you'd have the whole I'm body. Sorry, I just had to say bog. These something. are just weirdly crystallinely infused bones.
1: So they're almost like glass. Ooh.
2: Could be any so mineral. Yes. An unknown mineral. Fun.
1: But in that case, they wouldn't go through. They wouldn't go through the gate. So therefore, people are more confused.
2: Could they or be? Could they be a fake? Be a fake?
1: An elaborate fraud.
2: Always Maybe a possibility. A
1: an elaborate carny trick.
2: <laughs> Maybe as you go through gates repeatedly, this mineral builds up in your bones until you can't do it anymore and it kills you. <gasps> Are That'd gates terrible. poisonous
3: Wait, we've, we've, in the end? We've wondered what happens if a gate collapses. What happens if a gate collapses while you're <gasps> in it? While you're in it,
2: oh! Or maybe a Ooh. gate collapses and the city around it, right? The people who are in the radius because nuclear. Ooh. Ooh, what, well, if, what if, if
1: what if what if a gate can collapse catastrophically?
3: There you go. Oh. Well, now we have more things to ponder. <laughs> Don't say I never gave you. Damn anything. it! We just answered a bunch of things. <laughs> well, thank you, Sarah, for coming on for some delightful conversation and for giving us mystery bones. <laughs> that have ignited some new world-building creativity with us. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Thank you all for having me. It's it's really delightful to actually be back on my world-building binge. <laughs> it's really fun, and I love it. And it's great that you all shook me out of the, oh, God, really? i got to do this, too. <laughs> oh but you know what would be cool you know what would be cool is the best question ever
3: well i am so glad that you came on to join us and that you asked that question with us thank you sarah
1: Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of Worldbuilding for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on September 28th, where we'll be sharing our live recording from Worldcon, talking about our process in specific books, and taking audience questions. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as Worldbuildcast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked on the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.